People of the fine print, they're everywhere, not just in the church, not just in our story, they're in every story. I pulled a few prom photos to show to kick off the message tonight randomly, and these are pretty awesome. Anybody been to prom in your lifetime before? Did anybody go to prom? The outfits, okay? Sometimes pretty normal. You go down to the Renatux every now and then. Somebody does something crazy. These people did something crazy right here. And don't miss the look on her face by the outfits. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a referendum on the date or, or maybe the dress doesn't fit right. But anyway, she didn't look thrilled. Um, there's this other couple right here. They're kind of in the same vein. Anybody know where I'm going already? Some of you are already on board with me here. This third couple, they all have something in common. You know what all three of these couples have in common? Got one more. And then we got one more couple. This one's outstanding. See, she looks a lot happier about this whole situation. What, what's the one thing they all four have in common? Duct tape. You're like, some of you are like, okay, duct tape, like what? Like all the outfits are made out of duct tape. For real. There is an international prom outfit duct tape competition. You can go online, you can figure out how to make a duct tape tuxedo, and then you can enter into competitions and when and I was thinking about it the other day because I was using duct tape and I thought everybody has got duct tape and it can be used for any number of things and has been used for everything imaginable in the history of its life on planet earth and I thought where did duct tape come from so I did what anyone would do I googled duct tape and I said what's the story what's the fine print of duct tape I found an amazing story I found this woman who I've never heard of before and I'm, I'm guessing you've never heard of her either. Vesta Stout is her name. And I was like, what does Vesta Stout have to do with duct tape? And so there was a story. I found this uh, written by a historian who works for Johnson & Johnson who is credited for inventing duct, duct tape. And they have a historian that works at their company. And this is in an article that she wrote a few years ago. Vesta Stout was the mother of two sons serving in the Navy during World War II. Her sons were stationed in the South Pacific region of World War II in that conflict, she went to work like most Americans did in that time in some way to support the effort for freedom. So all kinds of people got jobs to support what it took to fight and wage this conflict around the world. She started working at the Green River Ordnance Plant in Illinois. And her job there, think about this, was inspecting and packing cartridges that were used to launch rifle grenades. They were packaged 11 to a canister. The canister was sealed with wax so it would remain waterproof under those kind of conditions, but it was also laced with a piece of paper tape with a little tab in it that would tear the tape, break the wax seal, open the canister, and you could get to the cartridges. Think about a global conflict where literally the freedom of nations is at stake, and your job is to pack and inspect containers of cartridges. That's your whole role. In a global conflict where nation's freedom is at stake. But there was more at stake than just that. Her sons were involved, and she had heard from her sons that the paper tape didn't work. And a lot of times under pressure, someone would grab the little tab, they would pull the tab to open the canister, needing a cartridge right now to spare someone's life and the tab would break off and 
There would be no way to break the seal without getting a knife or a sharp object or a screwdriver or banging it against the side of something, breaking the seal, getting the canister open that way while trying to defend yourself. And people literally were losing their lives because the paper tape wasn't working. And she, being a mom of two of these sons, thought there's got to be a better way. She thought through it, worked on it. She observed and she said there's got to be a paper-based tape that tears easily, that's waterproof and strong that can solve this whole dilemma. She worked it out, came up with a solution, passed it up the chain. People said, that looks like a good idea, but nobody took the idea and ran with it. So she did what any mom would do and what your mom's probably done at least once. She wrote to the highest authority that she could find. She wrote to the president of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt. And her handwritten letter you can find online, and in it she draws a diagram of the box of cartridges and the problem and the solution, and then she appeals to him as a father of sons who are also serving in the war, this is a way we can save lives, possibly my sons or your sons' lives. Well, apparently that struck a chord because a miracle happened for Vesta Stout. She wrote the letter on February 10th. She got a response March 26, 1943 from the War Production Board in Washington, D.C. They said, your idea is amazing. It's been approved and sent to production. We're going to make the very thing that you wanted to make. And then they enlisted a very well-known company, Johnson & Johnson. You maybe wore their Band-Aids or got a Q-tip or a cotton ball at some point from them. And she en they enlisted for her idea, Johnson & Johnson, to make the the very first duct tape. It worked and it was a great solution. It in turn did save lives and then got used for all manner of things. And I wonder if anybody who made a duct tape tuxedo this year for prom even knows that Vesta Stout is in the fine print of their story. See, that's the way life works and it's the way the kingdom works. There are always a few visible people in the kingdom work of God, but the kingdom work of God doesn't rest on the gifts and talents of a few. Church isn't built, we've said it every week, on the gifts and talents of a few. Love Atlanta doesn't work on the gifts and talents of a few. Love Atlanta was an excess because a few amazing people stood up on a stage. Love Atlanta was a success because 2,800 people showed up and said, I will play my part. And then it became a force for good in the city. And the name of Jesus echoed all through the city of Atlanta. It wasn't one or two talented and gifted people. It was the sacrifice of many people. Church isn't built on the gifts and talents of a few, but on the sacrifice of many. And it's always been that way. We looked at the very beginning of this series in Colossians and we saw this principle, chapter 1, verse 1. We see a visible person, Paul. He even describes himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So there's structure, there's leadership, there's authority, there's visibility. My name is right in the first line of the letter. Why? Because people needed to know this letter is coming with authority from heaven. This isn't just opinion. This letter is coming with God-designed authority from heaven. And so to do that in this situation, for the letter to carry the weight that it needed to carry to the church in Colossae where it was intended, it needed a visible name in the opening line. That's always going to be a part of all the stories in the world. But the problem with culture is culture wants a superstar. Culture wants to push one person to the top and forget about everybody else that helped them get there. And God isn't that way. And so he says, it is visibility. 
but there's also the sacrifice of the many. So in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 down to 18, he lists the people of the fine print, a section of Scripture that a lot of people, I'm guessing, don't have starred or highlighted or underlined or bolded or any little notes from when somebody preached a message about it. But God put these people, extraordinary people. This is our byline in the series, people of the fine print. But the second line, which gets a little smaller, is maybe the most important line, celebrating the lesser known yet extraordinary people who beautifully carry the cause of Christ and faithfully build his church. And God sees and loves all of us playing our role to do the thing that he's doing on planet earth. So here they are in scripture forever. In verse seven, we'll read just a few verses together and we'll find our person of the fine print tonight. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Now, who is this guy? Well, we're gonna describe him now. Are you ready? He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a servant in the Lord. What a great triple threat description of a person. I love this guy. We have a heart connection. We are in this together. This isn't just a job to us. This isn't just an endeavor for us. We love each other and there's affection between us. But he says on top of that, this guy's faithful. Not just that he's a minister, he's a faithful minister and he's a fellow servant in the Lord with me. I'm sending him, Tychicus, to you or Tychicus, I don't know how you pronounce it. I like Tychicus because we can call him Ty. Could be Tychicus. I don't know my Greek pronunciations as well. I don't know a Tychicus or a Tychicus, but he says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. So he's also got a gift and the ability of encouragement, both by his message and the way he's going to bring it to them. Verse nine, he's coming to you with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, Onesimus is a, a guy that, you know, if you've been around church a long time, you're probably like, okay, I've heard that name somewhere, but under pressure or in jeopardy, I, I wouldn't be able to really pull together exactly who this guy is. But he describes him, Paul does, this way, a simple statement. He said, he also is faithful and he is a dear brother to me. So we know he's a Christian. We know he's with Paul. We know they're linked together. We know he's faithful in working alongside of Paul. He's in the inner circle with this person that God has chosen to make a visible leader of the expansion of the church of Jesus in the world. And that's what we know about Onesimus unless you dig just a little bit further. And that's what my long-term hope is from this series, is that you won't just keep going back to the highlighted passages in your Bible time after time after time, but you'll read around the margins and dig a little bit deeper and let God unfold the riches of this word and the riches of his story in the world. Now to do that, can we take one little side trip and just talk about the book of Colossians for one second together? Can we do that? Because it's not just, oh, I know, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They're these epistles that Paul wrote. They all have a purpose. And this letter to the church at Colossae had a major purpose. Colossae was an important city. It wasn't a church that Paul started physically, but it was a church started, obviously, from his influence. 
and he cared about this church. It was in a strategic city in Asia, Asia Minor, and it was being compromised both with relational friction on the inside and with theological drift coming from inside and outside, and he wanted to address both of those things. The, the theological drift that was going on was that in this embryonic state of the church of Jesus, there were people coming in, particularly here, four things were being addressed. Number one, that we have to observe the Old Testament law and couple that with the grace of God to find salvation in God. And Paul wanted to address that and say, no, this isn't works of the law plus the grace of God. This is the grace of God for salvation. There were people also within this church that were teaching that there was a higher secret layer of spiritual knowledge that you could attain to, something outside of the word of God, outside of the teaching of the church, that you could have some illumination into a special group of people who understood secret spiritual things. And Paul wanted to debunk that idea. There were also people that teaching the worship of angels, and then there were there who were denying the very deity of Christ. And those four major themes, Paul, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, addresses in this letter. This is a critical letter for the emerging church in the very first days of the expansion of Jesus' house. And a critical letter for the church today because all four of those things are still happening in the church even today and in the society around us. People trying to say, yeah, Jesus is great, but you gotta add works to it. Or saying, there's a secret club spiritually and I can show you the path of how you can find secret things that nobody else knows about God and you can you know, rise up to some new level of spiritual understanding apart from the teaching of scripture and the teaching and tradition of the church. A lot of people saying Jesus isn't God or saying let's all get into the worship of angels and go down that road for a while. The, the scriptures are standing today because of friction relationally and because of theological drift in that day and in this day. So that's why this letter is a critical letter. You've got to get that in your thinking or else you're kind of going to get one level of people of the fine print and you're not going to appreciate the gravity of what happened, the gravity of whether or not the, the, the people in D.C., took on this person's idea for duct tape or not. There's always something in the balance, and I want you to see that tonight. So Onesimus, who is he? Well, we know from the text that he's a faithful brother, and we also know from the text that he's one of you. So what does that mean? He means he was, he was from Colossae. So Paul, writing the letter, is in Rome. He's under house arrest for the gospel, sending a message back to a church in a city that is far away. And he's saying, I've got Onesimus here, and you know Onesimus because he's from you. But here's the thing they knew about Onesimus. Are you ready for the fine print? Onesimus was a slave to a rich man in Colossae named Philemon. And in this time, obviously, the Greco-Roman world and in most of the history of the world People had slaves in their home or in their business. And Onesimus was a slave to one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. But he'd run away from Colossae. He bolted. Uh, you know, writers in history think that something went down between he uh, and Philemon. And so he bolted away from Colossae. He left that city and he ran to Rome because Rome was a larger city, thinking he could get lost in Rome, blend in, find freedom there, and maybe find a brand new life. But somehow his path crosses paths with Paul in chains. 
And so either he came to serve Paul by some means or he got incarcerated with Paul by some means, but their lives came together and Paul led Onesimus to faith in Jesus Christ. He became a transformed, brand new, alive follower of Jesus. He saw the purpose and plan of the kingdom, became a co-worker with Paul in the kingdom, in chains, in Rome. And now Paul is sending him back to the town he came from. So you talk about some friction that's going to happen when the church leader's slave comes back through the door, having been saved under the ministry of Paul, who's the authority of the church in this day and time. This could get a little tense. And God wants us to see the big picture in the big story. So he gives us another letter. If you turn to the right, just a few pages. And I know most of you have been memorizing Philemon and doing your Bible studies in that little book. But it's incredible that we've got Colossians to address the theological drift. And we have Philemon to address the relational friction that was going on in the church. Can we just, just put a little footnote in here? There's always going to be relational friction in every church. So if there was people problems at the church you left to come to the church you're at now, guess what? You're going to have people problems at the church you're at now unless, of course, you go to a church that doesn't have any people and then you're home free. <laughs> Except that you'll be in that church and you'll probably give yourself some problems at some point in that church. So as long as there are people, there are going to be problems. But by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the transforming nature of the gospel, there should be a way to solve the people problems. And there's always going to be theological drift in the church. There's always going to be somebody coming along with a new book, a new idea, a new concept, a new way, a new secret, a new direction. And so for the theological drift, God says, I'm going to give you Colossians and a whole bunch of other texts. For the relational friction, I want to give you a little letter called Philemon. It's a one-chapter book in the Bible, and it's a beautiful little letter. I'd love to quickly read it for you. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, some more fine print people, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God is I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, do you see how that little line means way more now that you know what was going on in the church in Colossae before the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that letter addressing their theological drift called Colossians, all of a sudden that little line right there just jumps off the page and you go, oh man, I know what that line means because I know what this whole book over here is about. N not one amen for that. I, this kind of thing fires me up. So um, anyway, I, amen, Louis, that's amazing. That's incredible. I'm going to dig deeper in the word of God. I want to see how all this connects together. So that little line means so much more so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. But he likes Philemon and he thinks he's doing a great job. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So now here comes the request. Therefore, 
although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, because I'm the boss of this operation, basically. I am an apostle appointed by the will of God. I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. How many of you have had somebody do this to you before? Anybody know where this is going already? I could make you do this, but I'm not going to make you do it. But now in the next few minutes, I'm going to make you do it by not making you do it, by making you feel so bad about not doing it, you are going to do it. You already know what that feels like in the first line, right? So I could make you do it. I'm not going to make you do it. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. And here I go. Here's my appeal. Are you ready? I then, as Paul, Paul, remember, Paul, hello. And now this is hard to beat. (laughs) An old man... (laughs) And also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So just remember, Philemon, I'm your boss and I'm old. And I'm a prisoner for Christ. Now, you're not a prisoner for Christ, so you're free to live the way you want to live. You can go where you want, eat what you want, hang out where you want to hang out, go on vacation, travel from city to city. I can't do that right now. And besides that, I'm old. You're still young. I'm sort of like the father. You're sort of like the son. I've like done it all. You haven't done it all. And I'm your boss. So this is, this is going great so far, right? for I just want you to be free to do whatever it is that you're going to do. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. (laughs) Perhaps, you know, perhaps it's going to be a little curveball. Perhaps the reason... He was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back for good. Now, we're kind of laughing because the context of this is human, and we get human drama. But the stakes are high. Onesimus can show back up in Colossae, and Philemon can have him thrown in jail or have his life extinguished. So the stakes are high. It isn't just, hey, would you mind picking me up early and giving me a ride to the airport? The stakes for Onesimus and his life are high. And so Paul keeps leaning in with all of his heart. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave. That would be an amazing worship song, by the way, if somebody ever wants to think about writing that. But better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Something that Onesimus stole money from Philemon, and that's why he bolted out of Colossae to disappear in Rome. Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) Okay, so now, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I know you're going to do this. I know I can count on you. I know you're going to come through. I know you're going to see it the right way. I know you're going to do the right thing. 
And if you don't, I'll make you because I can make you and I'm giving you a chance to not make me make you. But if you make me make you, I'll probably make you. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I like that. I believe, Philemon, you're going to go above and beyond. And so Onesimus is in the fine print story tonight, teaching us some extraordinary things about God. Number one, don't ever count God out. Oh, I'm, just, I'm a slave. I don't even have rights. I, 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 I don't even have a vote, a stake, a place in society. I, I just got railroaded into a, a, a place in a circumstance that has totally got control over my potential impossibility in life. Don't ever count God out. You may be in the depths today feeling limited in every way about your possibility, but God still sees you, and if you're on God's radar, there's always an opportunity for God to do something significant to transform your life and raise you up into a significant place in his story. You may think, I am so far down. Or you may be like the other side of Onesimus that says, hey, I'm bolting out of here. I'm going to run from everything in the past. I'm going to run to something I think is going to fulfill me. I'm going to go to Atlanta or go to L.A. or go to another city where I can disappear among the millions of people and find what it is I'm looking for. Listen, God is what you're looking for, and God sees you the whole time. So don't ever count him out. He might be thinking right now, I don't believe there's going to be any more inspired Holy Spirit scripture written, but in the history of faith and in the life of the church, God may be thinking about writing a book of the Bible about you in the lives of people. Onesimus, if you told him when he was a slave, there's going to be a book, one of the 27 books in the New Testament is going to be about you, and God's going to use you both to help theological drift, because you're going to help carry the letter to the church at Colossae, and he's going to use your situation and salvation to speak into the relational friction that exists among these people and into the cultural dynamic of slavery as a whole. Onesimus would be like, really? Don't ever count God out. I love this verse in Philemon, verse 11. Formally, He was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Formerly, this guy's not contributing a thing to the greater good. He's not advancing any eternal cause. He's not making a difference in anybody's life in any way that matters once this earth disappears. But now, by the power of God, the transforming power of the gospel, he who was useless to you now has become useful to me, Paul the Apostle, and to you, Philemon, as well. That's why it's pretty cool that Onesimus, the name, means useful. And God fulfilled that promise in his life, and he wants to do that for you. The second thing we're learning from his life is this, that the kingdoms of this world are subservient to the kingdom of God. The kings and kingdoms and systems of this world are subservient to the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means that the society may say it's okay to have slaves, but God says all men are created equal. 
Therefore, as kingdom people and as Jesus people, we don't go by the letter of the law, even if we could. We go by the work of the Spirit who shows us that every man and woman is created equal under God, and we are all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We all are slaves to one master, and his name is Jesus. And in the same way we serve him and he covers us, we want to serve each other and we want to cover each other in this life. Paul speaks into this like a wrecking ball. His mission isn't to change the legal structure. He doesn't condone the legal structure, but his mission isn't to change the legal structure. But what he knows is his mission being to preach the gospel has the power to change the legal structure. Come on, do you realize that we have the power of the gospel of Christ in our lives so we can fret about the government and fret about society and fret about everything that's going on and how the world's all disappearing right before our very eyes in terms of goodness and values and morality and virtue, but we've got the power inside of us, the name, the power, the gospel of Jesus to change the hearts of people. And when the change comes to the hearts of people, change comes to everything else in society and Paul knew that so he's preaching the gospel and he finds Onesimus and he says hey I ran away from Colossae you need to know my real story here I was a slave to your friend Philemon who leads the church there but I bolted out of there and and when he met Christ Paul said hey here's the thing you're now changed you're not a slave anymore you're a brother to me now we're in equal standing with God and I want to send you back to Onesimus as a demonstration of the power that the gospel can bring to people, and I'm going to trust that God's going to bring that same power, are you ready, to Philemon's heart, and we can see the gospel working in a former slave's heart to bring him to life and to purpose, but also in a former slave owner's heart to bring him to see, I don't need to rule over men as their master, I need to see them as my fellow brother in faith. God was saying, I'm going to change the dynamic by the power of the gospel. And that's what we need in America. I'm telling you, that's what we need in this country. Like, we need to change the laws. Listen, changing the laws doesn't change the heart. We discriminated against people in this country for so long because of the color of their skin. And finally, thanks be to God, the laws were changed almost 50 years ago. But people still hate people of different race in this country. The law changed but the heart stayed the same. The gospel transforms the heart. We should pursue justice. We should pursue justice in every fashion and form, but we can't count on just changing laws to change people's hearts. And we have the power right here to share the gospel story of Jesus with people, see them come alive from the dead, repent of their sins, come to fullness in Jesus, be filled with the Spirit of God, get connected into the story of God, start getting their minds renewed to the Word of God, and absolutely transform everything around them. The hope of America isn't simply that laws change. The hope of America is that Jesus changes and awakens the hearts of people. This is the hope of America, and we see that in this life. Onesimus lets us see the transforming power of the story of God and the transcending kingdom of God. Transformed Paul from an enemy to an emissary. Transformed Onesimus from a slave to free. From lost to found. And it transformed Philemon from a master of men to a fellow servant of men. And that's the power of God 
on display. The last thing that we see in this text, and we see it from Onesimus and also from Tychicus, is that no role is too small in the kingdom that we serve in. No role is too small in the story of God. There's no such thing as God who is great asking you to do something that is insignificant. It may look small, but there are no insignificant asks from God. Everything God invites you to do has a significant ramification and potential in his kingdom story. So never despise where you are. Never let the woe is me seed take root in your heart. And if you're a visible leader, if you've been given some stewardship and responsibility, if your name is in the first line of the letter, recognize the greater we and try to use we more than me. Recognize it is a team that is moving the ball forward, whether that's in your company, in your family, in your business, in your classroom, in your organization, wherever you are. If you're in a position of leadership, learn from Onesimus today and learn the greater we. We is truly better and greater than me. And if you're on the other side of the equation thinking, I don't have the visibility. My name isn't in the first verse of the story or the second or the third or the fourth. And I didn't even, Louis, get mentioned in the last few verses in chapter four. Nobody ever mentions me. Listen, if God has given you the role you are in right now in his greater story, you've got all the recognition that you need because he has put something in your hands that has the potential to change the world. We talked about it a few years ago, but this Tychicus guy blew my mind when I first started reading the fine print and found him a few years back because what Paul asked him to do, we're fellow ministers, we're in this thing together, we're in house arrest, we're going through it together, we're trusting God together, we're serving people together. He was in the inner circle with the apostle Paul, the visible guy, I'm right in there with him, but once the Holy Spirit leads Paul to write the letter to the Colossian church to fix their theological drift called the book of Colossians. He hands it then to his most trusted person. He looks around to the fine printers and he said, Tychicus is gonna be you. I need you to take these parchments to the church in Colossae. Make sure Philemon and the other leaders get them and read them to the church. And I'm telling you, how easy could it have been for Tychicus to say, are you kidding me? Bro, we've been right here together and what, what you, you want me to like be the message boy? A letter carrier? They didn't know it was the Bible. They didn't know it was scripture. They didn't know it was Holy Spirit inspired. We're gonna be preaching about it tonight at Passion City Church. It was a letter to a church to help them stay faithful to the truth of who Jesus was. But when he handed it to Tychicus, he did what every person in the kingdom of God would wanna do. He said, if this is what the kingdom needs me to do. If this is what the church, if you will, needs me to do, if this is the role someone needs me to play, I'm going to take the parchments and I am gonna be focused until I deliver them into the hands of the leaders in the church in Colossae. Onesimus is going with me. We're praying all the way. We don't know what's gonna happen to him when he gets there, but you can trust me with the parchments. And he never knew what was in the bag. He never knew the living, breathing, Holy Spirit, God-inspired, never changing, never fading, always standing, people building, church exploding, word of God was in his messenger bag. Don't despise what's in your bag. If God asks you to carry it, 
You carry it like you're carrying the kingdom of God because you are. You carry it like you've never carried anything before. You carry it so joyfully. What are you doing? Don't go, uh, <clears throat> carry a letter. You say, I was asked to carry this letter to our church in Colossae, and I'd love to talk more about it, but I got a mission to do. Thank you very much. I'll catch you on the way back. I got to go. Can't be distracted. I got a job to do. I have a role to play. I've got something that someone is counting on me to do. And I love that this house is filled with people like that. And I love Tychicus. And I love that Onesimus, maybe he carried the bag for a little while too. Maybe he got in a little bit of that story as well. I'll carry the bag for a little while. Okay, you carry. If he'd known what was in it, he'd probably try to carry it the whole time. No, give me the bag. I'll carry the bag. I want to be in that story. Why? Because Colossians has changed our world. Amen? Anybody love Colossians? Anybody love the book of Colossians in this house? Anybody love chapter one? You rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your son who you love in whom we have forgiveness, the redemption of sins. Hallelujah. Anybody love that? Anybody love the su supremacy of Jesus in chapter one? All things were created by him and for him. Anybody love uh, laminin? In him, all things hold together. Anybody love knowing that he is the head of the church? He is the firstborn from among the dead and the firstborn of many brothers. He's the first resurrected one, and he's going to resurrect all of us who put faith in him. Anybody love the end of that passage? And we have peace with God through his blood shed on a cross. I love chapter two. We're going to get right at the theological drift, all the fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. And just as you have started in Christ, so continue in him in your faith. I love that this book goes on, chapter 3, and it says, set your minds on things above, not on things on earth, because you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that it says a few verses later, and when Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Passion wouldn't exist without 317. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that he breaks down every bar barrier culturally. There's neither male nor female or Jew nor Greek or slave or free. In Christ, we are all in all. I love Colossians. It has changed my life Thank you, Tychicus and Onesimus, for carrying the word of God and delivering the message of God to the church and to us. What looked like a little insignificant ask changed your life and changed mine. Church history says Onesimus, after Paul died, gathered all of his letters together and brought them into one place, letter to Rome, a letter to the Corinthians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, that Onesimus gathered all the letters up so they could be collected to the early church fathers who authenticated them in the process of creating the canon of the word of God. 
And then there's Depeche, fine print. You're like, who is that? This guy. Amazing, lovely man. <laughs> Apparently somebody knows Depeche. You're like, who is he? He's one of you. He's one of the beautiful people who sacrificially give above and beyond so that Passion City Church can be what it is. Moved to this country from India. In Bremen High School, he was the manager of the basketball team. There was a guy on that basketball team and a few other people who took interest in Depeche, ultimately leading to his conversion to faith in Christ and coming alive from the dead to walk with Jesus. He went to college in Carrollton, started driving in some to Passion City Church with that same friend who he met on that basketball team in high school. And then his job brought him to Atlanta. And when his job brought him to Atlanta, of course, he planted at Passion City Church and became a door holder years ago in this house. Served in multiple capacities, but now is on the operations team at Cumberland, our new location in Cumberland meeting in North Atlanta High School. You're like, ooh, the operations team, that sounds important. What does he do? He um, is on the load-in team. You're like, what's the load-in team? The load-in team are highly trained people who have master's degree in taking things out of the back of trucks and trailers and hauling them upstairs and down hallways into a high school trying to make it feel like our house and our family who set up Passion Kids, who set up Bloom, who set up resources, who set up an auditorium, who set up production, who make a way for people to drive on up at 1040 and to roll into something wonderful because they've been there since 5.30, 6.30, 7.30 in the morning unloading stuff gloriously to set up something beautiful so that Jesus can be on this display in the lives of people and people's lives can be changed. So can we thank Depeche and everybody like him, their door holders in this house, and they are the amazing people of the fine print. And there's too many to name in this room right now. They're the lesser known yet extraordinary people who beautifully carry the cause of Christ and faithfully build his church. And maybe it's time for you to move from being an attender served by Depeche to becoming Depeche and saying, someone made a way for me. It's time now for me to make a way for someone else and to join Passion City Church. Like, thank you for saying that. My wife and I have been on the website looking everywhere for the membership tab. We cannot find it. Hallelujah. How, tell us, how, to, how do you become a member? Our, it's called being a door holder. <laughs> no, 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 no. We just want to, like, fill in the box so we can put it on my husband's resume at work. <laughs> you know, we're members of Passion City. Church is an organization you join. It's a transformative community of people who've come alive in Jesus Christ, whose hearts are being changed by Him, who realize that, A, we'll never count anybody out, and B, we'll never do what's required. 
We'll always look for ways to go above and beyond to reflect the gospel. It might be legal for you to do what you're doing in that deal right now, Mr. Businessman or Businesswoman, but you know it's not ethical what you're doing in that deal right now. And that's where the kingdom of God trumps the kingdom of this world. The judge may have ruled a certain thing, and you may have the right to go and do what you're about to do, but your heart and the Spirit said, that's not the way Jesus is going to do this. And you're going to say, I have the right from the mediator to make this call, but I'm governed by a higher power than the mediator, and I'm going to go above and beyond what the mediator asked me to do to reflect the glory and the greatness of Jesus in this moment. And when we do that and live like that, when we don't count people out, we believe in a greater kingdom, and when we don't think any role is too small in God's great story, that transformation happens in people's lives, it happens in families, it happens in churches, it happens in communities, and it will happen in culture.